0: You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hey, everybody. Emily Kwong here with NPR health correspondent Alison Aubrey. Hey, lady. What's
1: up? Hey, Emily. Great to be here.
0: Always excited to have you on the show, but more so than usual today because you've got some great vaccine
1: news for us. Yeah. Yes, well, we've hit a milestone. Half of adults in the U.S. have now received at least one shot of a coronavirus vaccine. And as of yesterday, everyone 16 and up in every state around the country is eligible to get a COVID vaccine. Yeah,
0: it's a huge milestone. It's it's actually pretty remarkable that we're we're here, you
1: know. That's right. And I will say I do have to measure this a little because as more contagious variants continue to spread, the challenge, of course, is to get the second half of the population Mm-hmm. And this is a challenge given how many people are hesitant.
0: If you have not been vaccinated, I want to encourage you to do so with one of the available vaccines as soon as you can.
1: That is CDC director Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who says getting as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible is key to putting this pandemic behind us.
0: Today on the show, Allison Aubrey offers us some necessary perspective how to balance this exciting eligibility news with the not insignificant amount of hesitancy around the vaccine. You're listening to Shortwave, the Daily Science Podcast from NPR. So, Allison, let's start with some good news. Vaccine eligibility has opened up in every state.
1: That's right. Now, teenagers age 16 or 17 have one option. That's the Pfizer vaccine. Adults Mm -hmm. 18 and up can get either Pfizer or Moderna. For now, the J&J vaccine is off the table as the rare blood clots are being evaluated. Right. So far, there
0: have been six confirmed cases of that and almost 7 million people who got the vaccine.
1: That's right. And in states weren't really expecting much of this vaccine right now anyway, given this ongoing production issue the company's been having. Mm -hmm. But the pause could be lifted this week. In fact, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices is set to meet on Friday. That's the group that advises the CDC. Right. I spoke to Patricia Stinchfield about this J&J pause. She is a non-voting member of the committee.
0: I think there's no doubt that the pause
1: does make people a little bit nervous. Uh, but i i feel like it's the right thing to do and i think in the long run i think pauses like this builds confidence to say yeah you know we had a pause we looked at it we evaluated it we feel confident going forward You know, Emily, there's just a lot of directions that this could go. I mean, one possibility is that there could be some restrictions placed on the use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, say, by age. Remember, the blood clots have been identified in women all under the age of 50. There's also links to blood clots with the AstraZeneca vaccine, and some European countries have put restrictions on it. So that's one possibility.
0: And has this led to hesitancy among women or people who may have been on the fence about getting vaccinated?
1: You know, among the healthcare providers I've spoken to, I think. They agree that the pause has led to some concern among people who may already be hesitant. I mean, that's including some, but certainly not all, uh, pregnant people or those considering having a child. I talked to Dr. Laura Riley about this. She is one of the authors of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists guidance policy on vaccination during pregnancy. She says she understands the anxiety. The J&J stop. I'm sure, has, you know, thrown some people back on their heels.
0: And so I think the purpose of the pause is not only, you know, like, obviously you want to see are there more cases, but you also want to pause so that physicians and patients know what to do if they have the symptoms. Right. We talked about how the pause was due to the vaccine causing blood clots in some patients. What kind of blood clots are we talking about?
1: So these are a rare and really serious type of blood clot. It's called a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, or a CVST. And in the case of the six women, it has been seen in combination with low levels of blood platelets. Now, because of this combination, the condition needs to be treated differently compared to a typical blood clot. But the symptoms can include a really bad headache, blurred vision, fainting, loss of control over movements in parts of the body and even seizures. So, you know, once the pause is lifted, presuming it will be lifted at some point, Mm -hmm. people could be warned after vaccination. Hey, you know, if you get this really severe headache or one of these other symptoms, it could be a warning sign. And physicians would also know how to respond. I mean, Dr. Riley says for now, she is definitely advising patients to go ahead, get the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine because they're available. Mm -hmm. And she's also reminding people why? I mean, the risks of not getting vaccinated far exceed the risks tied to the shots. Absolutely.
0: I mean, the vaccines are really our strongest weapon against deaths due to COVID-19. But we really do see hesitancy cropping up. I mean, there are new reports of vaccine appointments going unfilled, even in places that have already opened up eligibility.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you scan the headlines. There are reports from West Virginia, parts of Ohio, Mississippi, really too many to name. It's from pharmacies and clinics. There are just lots of reports of vaccination sites that have not seen appointments fill up as quickly as the supply has come in. I spoke to Claire Hannon of the Association of Immunization Managers about this.
0: You know, it is certain areas of the country, certain counties, They tend to be white, conservative, evangelical counties, um, rural areas. You know, this is where we're seeing that demand is not as high as the supply.
1: So she's saying, you know, outreach is key. Mm -hmm. People need to have their questions answered. There are all kinds of efforts around the country, including getting primary care physicians involved to reach out to their patients, just trying to give people the information they need uh, and encouraging people to get the shot. Yeah. And, you know,
0: early in the pandemic, Allison, many polls indicated higher levels of hesitancy among black Americans. Is that still the case?
1: Yeah, I mean, a Kaiser Family Foundation poll at the time of the vaccine rollout back in December found 52% of Black Americans said they would wait and see before signing up for a vaccination. Mm -hmm. Now, a more recent poll suggests that hesitancy among Black people may be waning. Mm -hmm. Uh, This recent NPR, PBS NewsHour, Marist poll found 25% of Black respondents did not plan to get the shot. And -hmm. this compared to 28% of White respondents who said they did not plan to get the shot. So- really not a big difference there at all. And Claire Hannon says there have been a lot of successful outreach efforts, and clearly there's more access now to the vaccine, especially in urban areas.
0: Black doctors, Black ministers, um, Black nurses, there are so many Black leaders involved and engaged, getting vaccinating, being, you know, vocal about it. I think it's helping tremendously. Yeah, that seems like progress and and good news. But uh, is the Johnson & Johnson pause slowing down
1: this progress? You know, it certainly doesn't help. And I yeah. think the answer is sort of, you know, it depends. It depends on how strong and for what reasons people have been hesitant. I spoke to Calvin Johnson. He's a doctor in the Los Angeles area. He's been spending a lot of time in his community, including at the church where he is a member, answering questions among people who were very hesitant at the time the rollout began. Now, he told me he does think he's making progress, but you just don't win everyone over all at once, he says. So among the people who are most resistant, the Johnson & Johnson pause may be making some of them more skeptical.
0: I think that my job is going to be more difficult, given the pause in the J&J vaccine. There's fear and there's anger. The thought is that They've been tricked. It's the vaccine came out too fast. It wasn't tested enough.
1: See, I told you so. And that's why he says you really have to meet people where they are. Take the time, sometimes one on one, just to answer their questions. Yeah. Yeah. He's
0: in a really tricky position. So is he just doubling down on his efforts, answering more questions, doing more outreach? How's he responding to this?
1: You know, a lot of what he tries to do is to put the risk in perspective for people. Uh, You know, the risk of a blood clot linked to the J&J vaccine appears to be about one in a million. That is much, much, much lower than the risk of, say, getting in an accident when you're behind the wheel of a car and, and driving, something we many of us do every day. You know, he also tells people about his personal experiences. He has watched in the hospital, lots of people die from COVID. And given that experience, I mean, clearly the disease is worse than the risks tied to the vaccine. Uh, So the message he's sending to people is, look, you know, it's critical to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. And I think that's been a hard part for me of just reporting on this. I mean, if you just look at the, that fraction, the denominator is 6.8 million doses delivered, the, the numerator is you know, six cases of blood clots, that is really, really rare. And so the rational brain kind of you know, says, oh yes, this is a very, very rare risk. But then I listened to the ACIP meeting, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices meeting last week, when they mm-hmm. went into detail about the sicknesses of these six women who got the clots, and it's horrifying. I mean, yeah. one young woman was sent home from the ER with Benadryl before they detected a clot. Some of these women, it's not clear if they have fully recovered. One woman died. Y- you know, you can't discount that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the good news, if, if you can say there's good news coming out of a death, is that the safety signal was picked up pretty early, and now doctors and people who get vaccinated can be on the lookout. So I'm really looking forward to what the committee decides this week. Right. And we'll
0: continue to hear this message from public health officials in the meantime to please get vaccinated using the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, especially as cases in the U.S. remain high. So what are those latest numbers for cases?
1: You know, there's still more than 60,000 new cases a day. Deaths have been declining, down to about 700 or so a day. But it's mixed around the country. I mean, take New York, New Jersey. The cases are declining there. That's good news. But cases have been rising in hotspots, including Michigan, Pennsylvania, parts of Florida, parts of Washington state. I mean, bottom line, the virus is still circulating. And I talked to Dr. David Rubin about this. He's the director of the Policy Lab at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and he analyzes all the trends. Americans have quickly retreated from any sort of social distancing. So there's kind of this mismatch right now where I think a lot of young and middle-aged adults are, in particular and those who are vaccine-hesitant are being swept up a bit into
0: this long tail and a bit of a spring resurgence
1: so now that eligibility has opened up, Emily, I think the hope is that many of these unvaccinated young or middle aged adults will opt to get the shot, which will help to put this pandemic behind us.
0: Yeah, the road ahead of us really continues with this. Allison, thank you so much for this reporting and bringing it to Shortwave. We really appreciate you.
1: Great to be here, Emily. Today's episode
0: was produced by Rebecca Ramirez, edited by Jane Greenhalgh and Giselle Grayson, and fact-checked by Rasha Aridi, who has graduated from shortwave intern to news assistant. Rasha, we're very excited you'll be staying on with us. I'm Emily Kwong. Thanks for listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR.
1: In stressful times, you want to spend your time checking out not just what's best, but what's best for you. We know you care about what you watch, what you read, and what you listen to. NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is with you five days a week to make sure that time is well spent. Listen now to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.